break 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 You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch-Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And yes, we are back here on The Punch-Out, 18th of August, 2021. Very happy to be back with you here on the show. Plenty for you here on the show, as we always do. We're going to be talking about how Social Security can remain solvent in perpetuity here in the United States. We're going to be talking about some of the things happening in Ethiopia that you haven't heard that much about, if anything at all. But before we get to either of those two very important stories, we want to talk about the impact of the newly implemented expanded child tax credit here in the U.S. as it concerns addressing hardship and poverty amongst families and children here in this country. Well, starting on July 15th of this year, the U.S. government started sending out payments for the new expanded child tax credit here. And that was a tax credit that was expanded temporarily as part of the American Rescue Plan, the last COVID-19 relief bill passed earlier this year. The expanded law, which for now is just for this year, is sending tens of billions of dollars to families, including to the 39% of children who lived in families too poor to qualify for the previous version of the child tax credit. As the Institute for Taxation and Economic Policy, or ITEP, points out, quote, The expansion also increased the maximum credit from $2,000 per child to $3,000 for each child age six and older and $3,600 for each child younger than six for families with an income of up to $150,000. And rather than a benefit that's claimed after the fact, as before, as implied by our earlier statement, the money is sent out in monthly installment payments in real time, providing a much more significant impact on a family's finances. The tax credit has had a big impact on those struggling from the hardships of the pandemic, which we will get to, but it also has become one of the major pieces of the Democratic Party's budget reconciliation bill, which would seek to extend the benefit. Next year alone, if such an extension passed, about 90% of children in the U.S. would see some benefit for a total of about $111 billion in payments overall. The most recent Census Bureau Household Pulse Survey that surveys people on how they are faring on a range of measures during the pandemic added a question as to the tax credit and how families were or were not spending it. Overall, 35 million families received the credit and the average benefit was $423. As the Economic Security Project notes, the primary things the tax credit was used for were food, utilities, clothing, school supplies, paying down debt and boosting savings. The Census Bureau survey asked people if they mostly spent the tax credit, mostly saved it, or mostly used the money to pay off debts. The largest individual category was the last one. 20 million people mostly used it to pay off debts. In a clear sign of the damage done by the pandemic-induced economic crisis, the debts that most people were paying off were utilities first, then rent, and then the credit cards people had been using to keep from totally going underwater from written utility payments during the pandemic. 
although it is worth noting, almost half of those who were using the money mostly to pay down debts were also using some portion of the payments on food. For the 13 million odd people who mostly spent the child tax credit, 67% of people used at least some of the money on food, by far the main expenditure among that group, which gives you a sense of the depth of the hunger crisis people were enduring. The next largest expense that people were spending the money on was clothing and then school supplies. And of those who mostly saved the money, of course, they saved most of the money, but the top category of the money they did spend was, again, food, just further underscoring how difficult many people were having it in terms of making sure they had enough to eat. The Economic Security Project notes that overall, compared to the period immediately before receiving the monthly credit, food scarcity among families with children dropped in the weeks after families received the money from 11% to 8%. The share of families with kids earning less than $50,000 who didn't have enough to eat dropped from 26% to 18.5%. For Latino families with kids, it dropped from 15.7% to 9.9%. Looking at these numbers, is there really any question that the child tax credit should be at the very least extended and quite honestly expanded, especially to children who are in families where their parents or other guardians are undocumented who do not count here? Seems like there is no question to me. When it comes to the war in Ethiopia, all you really ever hear in the Western media are negative things about the Ethiopian government. The party that started the war, not the Ethiopian government, I'm saying, but the party that started the war and has been conducting escalations over the past two months, the Tigrayan People's Liberation Front, is constantly portrayed as an unalloyed good with perhaps a slight imperfection here or there and the government an unalloyed bad. Which makes it notable that the very mainstream newspaper out of the United Kingdom, The Telegraph, has just published a new report detailing serious abuses by the Tigrayan People's Liberation Front, or TPLF, in their offensive in the Amhara region of Ethiopia, which has displaced as many as 200,000 people already. In the words of The Telegraph, quote, an investigation found that rebel forces systematically destroyed farming communities and indiscriminately shelled civilian areas in a series of horrific revenge attacks in Ethiopia's Amhara region. One displaced person told The Telegraph, quote, they are out for revenge and will gladly attack civilian areas. It wasn't even safe in our homes. They used artillery against entire neighborhoods, end quote. The Telegraph further reported that, quote, some said the fighters also went from house to house, killing people and setting every home alight, end quote. The newspaper took a look at satellite imagery to confirm and found that, quote, imagery shows that the village is completely destroyed with homes reduced to ashes. DXON, which is the satellite company they use, counted at least 50 homes, likely home to hundreds of people, which had been destroyed by fire-based attacks. And among those who fled, it seems that the incident took place when lightly armed farmers tried to defend their land, and the TPLF forces responded with an all-out attack. The TPLF, as you might expect, is denying that they did anything at all and saying that the Telegraph report is all lies. And of course, this is the usual MO for the TPLF. They've also vehemently denied pretty much every negative thing that's been said about them, including one of the most explosive charges that they are using child soldiers. The problem with That denial is that pictures taken by the New York Times at least appear to clearly show child soldiers. And the prize-winning photographer who took the photos expressed concern on his Instagram account that the TPLF was violating international conventions against child soldiers. 
The AP also has produced a news report that tells the story of a young TPLF fighter that, again, strongly suggests that child soldiers are in play for the Tigrayan People's Liberation Front, now calling themselves the Tigrayan Defense Forces. There are other photos and videos that are also quite suggestive, despite TPLF denials. And on the issue of denials, it's worth noting that despite glib dismissals by many, the Ethiopian government's own Human Rights Commission has taken the government to task for human rights abuses during the war. And the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, while taking issue with the recent Amnesty International report on the issue of the use of sexual violence as a weapon of war, does in fact admit that some of the events in the report were at least ones like them did take place. This, of course, doesn't absolve anyone of anything, but it does seem like an important fact in the context of the massive demonization of the Ethiopian government versus the deification of the TPLF, that it does seem the Ethiopian government's own bodies are holding the government to a higher level account to anyone inside of the TPLF hierarchy. A notable fact. Ultimately, this should raise some serious questions in people's minds about why the party who started the war has launched a major escalation into multiple regions of the country, committed documented abuses in the same areas, and who has a 30-year reputation of brutality of all kinds as being portrayed as some sort of brave freedom fighters rather than destabilizers of the entire region. It's not a question of denying any allegations or proven crimes by any side. But we have to ask serious questions about why the TPLF seems to be able to avoid even the most basic scrutiny and accountability in the narrative surrounding the conflict promoted by almost all Western media. Four days ago was the 86th anniversary of the signing of the Social Security Act by President Franklin Delano Roosevelt. The establishment of what is the most widespread social benefit provided by the U.S. government, the Old Age Survivors and Disability Insurance Program, commonly known as Social Security. Social Security is funded from a 12.4% payroll tax split evenly between employers and their employees. The issue of funding has been ever present in the U.S. since the 1990s, and it's been used by the right wing as a boogeyman about how out of control government spending will bankrupt the country and how benefits for Social Security need to be cut. It's also been a political football used by many, including President Bill Clinton, when he was trying to rescue his reputation after the Lewinsky scandal. And amidst all of those various conversations and ructions, progressive people have pointed out for years that there is no crisis at all in Social Security and that if the government just changed the rules that let millionaires and billionaires get off easy, Social Security would be well-funded forever and could even be expanded if we so chose. The big issue here is that there's an income cap placed on Social Security payments where over a certain amount of money, you no longer have to pay. In 2021, the tax is not applied to individual earnings in excess of $142,800. One other way to look at that is that means most millionaires are only paying Social Security taxes on about two months of their earnings per year. This obviously drastically limits the amount of money available to run the program. And as it stands now, starting in 2034, Social Security will only have enough money to pay 76% of the benefits it's supposed to pay out. Oftentimes, when the issue of lifting the cap is raised, conservatives say that this is the same thing as, quote unquote, raising taxes in order to try to cut the knees out from under these proposals. The Center for Political and Economic Research has released a new study addressing who actually would pay if the cap was lifted in various ways. And spoiler alert, only a handful of wealthy people who can absolutely afford it would be affected at all. In fact, 
93.5% of income earners would see no impact at all in their paychecks if the Social Security cap was raised. There are three main proposals for lifting the cap that Seeper looked at. One is just lifting it outright. So the Social Security tax applied to all earnings, just period. So no matter how much money you were making, the same tax would be applied on all of your income. There's also a proposal that would apply the tax to all earnings above $250,000. So it would go up to the cap, which right now is about $142,000, phase out, and then people making $250,000 or more would then start to pay it again. There's also a third proposal that's been put out there by some people in Congress that would do the same thing as the $250,000 one I just explained, but it would only be for earnings above $400,000. So 6.5% of people would pay more in taxes if the cap was just lifted outright, just applied on all income regardless, no cap. Just 2.1% of income earners would pay any increased tax if you had the $250,000 proposal, and only 1.2% at the $400,000 level. But all of those would allow Social Security to remain solvent essentially forever, and the first one especially would create enough income to almost certainly expand the program. Some other notable facts here from this report. Only six-tenths of a percent of black income earners would pay any increased tax at the $250,000 level and only four-tenths of a percent at the $400,000 level. The numbers are fairly similar for Latino people. And in fact, fewer than 200,000 black and Latino people in the U.S. have incomes over $400,000. Fewer than 200,000. There's 300-some-odd million people in this country. Only 200,000 black and Latino people in the U.S. have incomes over $400,000. It's also worth noting that those making over $400,000 have a much higher percentage of unearned income from stocks and investments and so on that is not even subject to Social Security taxes. Only 7.7% of those making $142,000 or less, that is 93% of income earners, reported any investment income of this sort, while 40% of those making over $400,000 said the same. The basic point here is this. The only thing stopping the U.S. from providing full retirement benefits and expanded retirement benefits to seniors rather than cutting benefits in a decade or so is the unwillingness of the major political parties to tax the rich. That's the punch out for today. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York, East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles, Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. And of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. And of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT Newsroom. Yeah, yeah.